body is really important. And I feel like it's something that we don't do often enough, or I don't do often enough, but the values. No one ever does that and says, wish I wouldn't have done it. I know, I know. <laughs> wish I would have uh, forgotten to <laughs> relax my shoulders and my jaw. That was a waste of five seconds. <laughs> Never again. Welcome back to Court of Femme, the podcast for the femme perspective. This is your host, Melinda Tedwallader, and today I have a very special guest. I kind of chased her, chased her around a little bit to wrangle her into meeting with me. <laughs> um, but this is Jackie Traber. Welcome, Jackie. Thanks so much, Melinda. I really appreciate you taking the time to meet with me today. Oh my gosh. I will just say that I have been following you for a little while. Um, when I heard about your project, I read up a little bit about it and I just wanted more people to hear about it and know about it. And I want to get, when I get fired up about something, I can't help but want to get other people fired up about it mm. because like, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's make this more visible. Let's mm -hmm. make it louder. Let's make change. Like that's... So first, just tell us a little bit about you, about Jackie, about the woman behind this project, the human behind the heart. Sure. Um, I've been in Spokane for about three years now. I moved here from Portland, uh, where I'd lived for about 13 years. So I've been in the Northwest for about 15. Um, before that I was in Kansas, um, before that I was all over, so. What brought you from Portland here? Um, my husband got a job teaching at Gonzaga, a tenure track position, um, okay. and the opportunity to buy a home, which was oh. really important to him. So, and we were actually eight minute, uh, eight months into our <laughs> relationship, uh, when he got the job and we just decided to take a leap of faith and move to Spokane together. What does he teach? What's his position? He, he teaches um, documentary filmmaking and photography. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. He's he's um, he's a documentary filmmaker himself. Um, he did a little bit of photography early on in his career, but he's mostly known for his documentary work. Okay. Um, the last one he did was on a B fifty two crash that his his grandfather was involved in. So he did a documentary on that. So we. Uh, came here and it's very much a different way of life. I'm still getting used to living in Spokane mm. and being in the inland Northwest. Yeah. Um, it is a culture shock, isn't it? It it's, is. And I feel so cliche like saying that. Yeah. And I also feel like saying that in the presence of like longtime inland Northwester <laughs> Westerners is like a little bit of a faux pas. But <laughs> it's, you know, I, I think if you're with it, you know, there's a difference. And not every it, Portland's not for everybody and Spokane isn't for everybody. And I'm really just trying to lean into building community in Spokane, building community regionally. Um, yesterday, for instance, I went down to WSU and gave an artist talk at my friend's digital art class. Oh, cool. um, so that's a little bit of an intro of like why I'm here, what I've been doing recently, who I am at the most essential core. I am a creator. I am a world builder. I'm an artist. And so when, when it comes to this project that we're about to talk about, I will probably be approaching it not from a documentarian or journalistic perspective. I mean, of course, there will be that integrity. But first and foremost, I'm an artist. And yeah. so the job of the artist is to 
be in the world, observe the world, and try and change the world wherever they can. And that's what I hope to do with this documentary. I love that because that is at the center of every human. That's part of what makes us human. So even the fact that you know this about yourself and you speak about yourself in this way, I find that to be just fascinating and wonderful and inspiring for other women. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> you found that thing and you're chasing it. And that's beautiful to behold. Yeah. It is. Well, thank you. And I, I have so many friends who are so reluctant to say that they're artists or mm. to say that they're creators or to say the big thing that they don't want to say. Mm. And I would love to squash that. Yeah. You know, I, I want to see them, I want to see people flourish. And yeah. that's also at the heart of this project is a deep and unabiding love for people, more particularly women. You know, I, the reason why I'm drawn to this project is because I love women. Women are amazing. We're so creative and fluid and intuitive, but also just strong and also capable of admitting when we're not strong. I mean, yeah. we're just these dynamic creatures. And I want, I want us to be healthy and well and live our full lives. Yeah. So. To our fullest potential. Yeah, like exactly. There's, there's always more. And not in a consumerism kind yes. of way, but in an experiential kind of way. Wh who doesn't want to live their life to their fullest capabilities? Push their fears just a little bit farther away. Reach for something that's a little bit out of reach. Like that's, that stretching is incredible it's possible you know it's possible we're all yeah. we're all elastic like um a little bit of my my background I, I came from a fairly poor working class family I mean generational like over and over and over again I'm the second person to go to college in my family mm. I'm the first person to basically leave our our hometown I bring all this up to show that like it is possible to extend beyond the confines of your life I will admit, second to that, like there's a little bit of privilege involved in that as well. The fact that I was able to leave mm, um, yeah. speaks to some level of mobility that maybe not everybody has. So I want to go ahead and acknowledge that. But like, I know that I was able to change and I know that I was able to sort of look, look within and do yeah. some radical transformation. So I want that for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes, I do know. <laughs> I want I that for know. everyone. So there's something about that, the contagiousness of wanting people to experience that when women are just running after things. So tell me about your education, too. What is your experiential learning <laughs> journey? I'm all about experiential learning, actually. Yeah. I came to education kind of late in life because I was working all these odd jobs and just trying to, like, make a life for myself. Mm -hmm. I got really frustrated and was frustrated with, like, where I was at. So I was like, I'm going to go to school. I was living in Lawrence, Kansas at the time. I kind of just threw a dart at a map and was like, okay, Portland, I'm going to check it out. They had um, a technical writing program at their community college there. I was intrigued. Writing is more my background. I came to visual art a little later in life. Uh, started at PCC, did a bunch of gen ed classes, knocked those out. 
and then transferred to Portland State and concentrated on English literature and creative writing. Mm. Um, yeah, it was, and again, I was still working at the time, so I was very much a non-traditional student, but mm-hmm. Portland State is kind of full of students like that. I don't think I have any learning disabilities, but I might be on the neurodiversity sca- scale, and so things like school, I, uh, I struggled with a little bit. Mm-hmm. At times, I would really excel, and I would do very well, and then other times, I would just be either unchallenged or a little burnt out, and so I would sort of withdraw from school. Schooling was a bit of a journey for me, um, and I guess if we're like leading by example or, or being vulnerable in any way, that's the reason why I kind of want to put that out there, is like mm-hmm. if you're listening to this and you yeah. <laughs> are on a journey that's creative and divergent and maybe not doesn't have quite an A to B to C path, don't feel too good discouraged. Right. <laughs> um, right. You, you can find your way. Um, also, don't feel discouraged um, if you have to sort of build your own path <laughs> yeah. that's non-traditional. Yes. So. And I was talking to some young gals a couple weeks ago, and we were discussing how in this day and age with, with new ideas, new tech, new concepts constantly emerging, that perhaps the thing that you do is has hasn't been named yet. There's not a name for it yet. Yes. Perhaps that. So don't limit yourself to a lot of times with colleges are like what track do you want to go to for mm-hmm. what career? Like you've got this end goal of a career or a job that you're preparing for. Yeah. When really it's experiential learning. It all is. Absolutely. And if you can navigate through that by what you've learned and then what were you passionate about that semester mm-hmm. and then move to the next one with a, a more refined path and maybe a shift or a left turn, right turn or whatever it is, but you're allowing it to change you and move you. That is the journey too. That's the adventure of it all. Yeah, and, and especially if you're like a person who loves learning, um, there's a phrase out there, trust the process. I think it's like a, a mm. sports phrase, um, but I would retool that and say, trust your process. Yes. Like, don't feel your bad process. if it doesn't match other people's processes or or maybe if you feel kind of alone in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, kind of tying this back to the project that I'm working on, like, this is a weird, lonely journey. Like... <laughs> It's a weird topic, oh, I get it, and yeah. it's kind of dark. And like, I bring it up to people, and I think that they're genuinely curious and and have like all the the right things in their heart. But it's like we we touch on the subject and then we kind of drop it. Mm-hmm. And so I bring this up to sort of like encourage myself and encourage others. Like, even if it feels a little strange, or you feel a little left out, or you're feeling kind of on the margins of what you're doing. Just keep going, you know? Mm. It's okay to just feel, feel through that. Feel through that awkwardness. Feel through that. Oof. Just <laughs> don't okay, let it so get you that, down. <laughs> that statement leads me to your project because um, the, the title that I first came across was The Only Way Out is Through. So why don't you introduce us to your project, what you're working on right now? Yeah, sure. So the title just recently came to me. I think that that, like you just said, ties into the uh, statement I just made of feel through it. Um, This is a documentary about femicide. Mm -hmm. Femicide is not very clearly defined um, in the United States. It is elsewhere, uh, but most people define it as women who are murdered solely for their gender and typically by men, almost, Mm. almost exclusively by men, but I could argue that often it can be women who are sort of accessories to men Mm. in ways 
being murdered mainly for gender, just that the simple cause of that. And I can, I can consider that someone hearing this would be like, but that's outrageous. Mm-hmm. Why would someone murder a woman just because she's a woman, just because she's female, just because of th- this gender construct? Why is that enough to lead someone? Like this, it sounds... Yeah. yeah, I think I think you're asking a really good question, and this is one that people who have studied femicide really grapple with, mm. which is why is this special, or why does this stand out particularly as a femicide? Mm. And I would answer that question with, oftentimes the nature of the murder is beyond a simple stabbing or or shooting. There's something else related to it. There's a sort of constellation of conditions that get the murderer to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, the woman will have um, been on the verge or have completed leaving the abuser. I think it's somewhere in the 70% range of like women who, who leave are more susceptible to getting murdered by their partner. Oftentimes, the, the scene of the crime is just very sexualized, mm-hmm. but the okay. murder is more sexualized. Um, the, the murder itself is often quite brutal. I'm sure you'll add some trigger warnings to, to this podcast, but, um, for instance, there was a murder in Spokane of a woman named Erezu, uh, Kashafi. She is an, she was an Afghanistan, uh, refugee who, uh, moved to Spokane with her husband. Um, she was found basically cut into pieces in the bottom of a fridge, um, so that's not your like run of the mill murder. No, you know there. That's not just a drug deal gone wrong. That's not a man to man. You you know offended me. I'm gonna like road rage kill you. It's yeah. it's very careful and deliberate, and it's almost kind of sending a message. Mm. And she was one of a few women that I just started to notice on the news. Just these women's faces on the Spokesman Review on KXLY. Um, that just called to me. Mm. And once I read what happened to them, it was just so clear to me that this was often premeditated and very much like based on someone spurned romantically because mm. it was typically their partner. So that's how I would maybe differentiate between femicide and homicide. We're not really willing or at the point to in our sort of like moment as a nation to identify femicides as such. Um, there's no legal framework for femicide. I was going to say, it, is that an actual ruling that they make today? No. If it's a homicide or femicide. It's not, what you're saying is it's not yet. No, it's it not, not yet. It's not yet identifiable. As, okay. Yeah, it's, it is in Mexico. It is in Canada. It's, it's becoming um, more prevalent in the, uh, the EU where they're actually able to define it and, th- and then create laws to sort of work against femicide but we still use homicide um as the as the term i recently encountered a couple of articles where um journalists have actually started to say we need to call this what it is we need to call it in the united states so i'm i get a little kind of leap in my heart when i see that because i'm like okay people are getting it this is a real like specific thing that's happening to women that we need to look at and in order to name it, and then in order to name it, we, could, we can destroy it, you know? We can yes. then kind of eliminate it. And I wonder at what 
point, meaning how many, how many, how many did it take for these other countries to coin the phrase mm. and, and identify this as femicide? How many did it take? And where are we on the scale of that in the United States of that number? Because the number of <laughs> black, indigenous, people of oh color that have been missing for decades. Oh, my God. It's it's I mean, it's, it just continues to come out, mm -hmm. and I know you're fully aware, I'm sure, of the latest uh, Gabby Petito yeah. um, that has spurred on, like, the FBI and all these things, and then here's indigenous women saying, excuse me, yeah, <laughs> hi. Yeah, yeah, white, white women, I mean, so many different thoughts on this, this subject because it's just so complex, one being... Gabby Petito's life mattered. I just want to say that, yeah. state that right right now. Yeah. Um, so when I offer, and when, when indigenous women and black women offer these critiques, of course, that is the first, that's the first thing we're going to say is this, this matters. She mattered. Her life yeah. mattered. Um, but second to that, you're absolutely right. Indigenous and black women are actually killed at, at a much higher and, and disproportionate rate than white women. White women, it's... I want to say it's one and a half or 1.5 out of women killed out of 100,000 people. Whereas indigenous women, it's 4.3 and black women, it's 4.4. Mm. So that's a statistical, like that's the margin is not very, it's very thin, but I, I also kind of want to put it out there. Like we, we definitely have a conversation in the mainstream right now around indigenous women and uh, two-spirit and girls mm -hmm. going missing and being murdered. Um, but the real sort of victim, victims here, the, the real people who are like looking for a spotlight are black women. Black women are, are disproportionately killed by their partners. They're usually killed by gunfire. This is probably something that, you know, you're familiar with, but like black women have this awful sort of intersection that they're at where they historically have not been protected by the police. Mm -hmm. So when their partners, their male partners hurt them, they're a not going to go to the police to protect them themselves, but they're also fearful that the police will come by and probably kill their male partner. So we have all of these complications of identity um, even, you know, as white women, as women of color, black women and indigenous women, I feel like have a real, like, that's an impossible situation. Like, how do you take care of yourself? How do you take care of your family when you can't even turn to law enforcement to protect, protect you in air quotes? I mean, it's just, how can you make the best possible choices when you're choices also lead to other consequences they're compromised Potential other consequences. yeah yeah you can you could potentially be inviting harm to yourself or your partner who like again that's another complicated conversation of like law enforcement and whether or not mm -hmm. that sort of justice is enough right. so yeah it's it's a weird complicated situation but it's yeah. one that i'm i'm i will give this gabby petito case one one thing that is it's at least galvanized a conversation right. around this. I mean, many people who hadn't even thought of this subject and the myriad of identities that are impacted by it um, until this case. Right. So 
yes, she got a lot of attention because she is a blonde, photogenic young woman. Um, but also, we, we are starting to look around and have develop a vocabulary around this stuff. Right. Develop a vocabulary. I love that. You also talked a little bit about um, Spokane. So Spokane having the highest rates of domestic violence in the state of Washington. I read that on your website. Right? Yep. number of factors that got me into the subject. One, moving to Spokane, realizing this fact about Spokane, um, sort of realizing this fact about the Northwest in general. When you encounter something like that and you don't know where to turn, you're really just kind of throwing like anything at the wall to see what will stick. So I was Googling all sorts of things. I was like, femicide you know, women being killed. I mean, I just didn't have yeah the words for it. Um, and I think I was maybe on Facebook one day and I decided to just type in the word face or femicide just to see like, will anything pop up? And Don Wilkes, Wilcox's page pulled up. I think it's women count USA um, dash like femicide in the United States or something. She is a nurse from Texas who I think kind of had the same sort of light bulb moment and probably even in her work as a nurse encountered over and over again these instances of women being harmed. Um, and then she just sort of took it upon herself to start documenting murders throughout the United States of mm. women. She, if you ever go to her website, it's incredible. She has going back maybe four years, five years, like Airtable spreadsheets of the date it happened, uh, the weapon used, the woman, the woman's face, so we can see her face. Oh gosh! Uh, <laughs> so we can see her face. We can know who did it. Um, if if we if there's any news about that, um, it's it's just a very it's a it's a project of love and care. Like just she's humanizing. She is the case, the file. She the, is. Yeah. Yes, that's um, going back to the Gabby Petito case. Um, that's something that we're all kind of missing here. Is we're treating it like it's this like cold case, um, you know, true crime mm. bullshit. <laughs> um, when it's so much more sensational. Than that. It's exactly. the sensational stories that trap us in to binge watching their story on Netflix. But what's real? Can we talk about what's actually happening? Like, yeah, what's at the heart of this? And I actually was inspired by to, to explore this topic through media and through um, movies and TV shows from my love of the show Twin Peaks, mm. which takes place in the Northwest. It basically is like a fictional town where like Medellin Falls is located. Um, and it's basically the story of a woman who is found dead and the whole town sort of comes together and tries to uncover what happened to her. And my love of this show was so strong until, and it still is, but until the third season came around and I was kind of in these fan groups on Facebook because yeah. I'm a nerd. <laughs> um, and everybody was just like, yeah, I'm so excited. And I, I'm just so jazzed to get back to this this world, which is a beautiful world that David Lynch has created. But it's all predicated on the murder and molestation of a young girl. I, that just immediately gave me pause. I was like, wait a minute. Why am I so into this show? And then I sort of looked around. I'm like, oh, this is a trope that's everywhere. 
the dead woman trope is mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about sensationalizing a, a woman's murder, we're doing that in real time, but we're also doing that kind of in our media and our, our shows that we watch and our narratives that we absorb. So it's like the patriarchy, which is sort of this like cloud that hangs over us, yeah. the air that we breathe, that there, there, there is like television and shows that kind of give us that same narrative. And it's often a, a young white woman who's, who's been killed, you know? It's this flux between the fictional imaginary to sort of like embed these ideologies in us. And then it's the real, the real stuff, the Gabby Petitos. It's big. It's big. <laughs> it's so big. And oftentimes I'm just like, holy crap, what did I get myself yeah. into? Yeah. But it's important to me, you know? Yes. It means a lot to me. So yeah, whether it was a television show or was it whether it was Gabby or whatever. I mean, I hope I hope maybe other people can start to think about this stuff. What is your hope? That's a really good question. Um, you know, I sort of work by intuition in most of the art that I make, and I just sort of let things kind of come to me um, in whatever form they're going to come. Um, but with this project in particular because there's such a lack of conversation and definition around femicide in the United States in particular, I really want to create something that can be broadly shared, that helps us develop that language, that hopefully will then give us the framework to turn to legislators and to our communities and say, say, we're not going to take this anymore. You know, ultimately, my dream would be, I would love to go get my PhD in women's studies, and I would love to have this be sort of the bedrock of, mm. of my research. Yeah. Um, because there's a, there's a need for it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Court of Femme with Jackie Traver discussing her research on femicide and why we should care. And I wanted to take a minute to talk about why we should care. I know it gets really difficult to look at stories of women who are outside of our world, whose lives look completely different, whose physical appearance look completely different, whose beliefs are completely different than our, ours. So why should we care? But it's in listening to these stories that actually expands our capacity to care. And when our capacity to care has been expanded, we are more willing to be present in moments where there is injustice, where there is discrimination, where there is sexism and racism and all the other cancerous isms. It's important that we're paying attention. The most recent book that I have read that continues to help expand my understanding of injustices against women is Women at Point Zero by Nawal El Sadawi. Um, Sadawi is a global feminist. She actually just passed away in 2021. Incredible woman. She was a doctor in Egypt and came upon a woman named Ferdas and was enamored by her story. Ferdas was on death row. And I don't want to give away the book and how it goes, but it really, it's, it's actual accounts of her involvement, her interviewing, her care for Ferdas while she was in a prison cell in Cairo. And it just... Gosh, it just reveals 
another aspect of society's treatment of women. A little bit brutal, but it does resonate today. It can be an inspiration when you allow these stories of other women to infiltrate your walls, cross your moat, and get into your heart and make you care. So as we continue on, I just encourage you to find something fascinating about this um, episode with Jackie Traber and her work on the Northwest Femicide Project. Let something ping your heart. Let it move you. Let yourself care and see where that leads you. Now back to the show. Back to the goal. The goal is I want more people talking about this. Mm -hmm. I want us to understand that this is a problem and that the United States is not exceptional. That's another thing I right. kind of realized. I was like, right. oh, I thought people just did honor killings in India and, and right. Saudi Arabia. You know, yes. <laughs> but also, like, we're kind of like barbaric here too. We have our own issues here too. Let's look inside. Let's do the work. Right. Let's put our finger on it. Let's identify it. Let's give it a name. There's something powerful when you give it a name. You're saying this exists. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's naming a child. You're not like, here's the baby. <laughs> yeah. No, this is Charles. Yep. Like, and it carries with it purpose and intention and all of these things. Mm -hmm. And so to not say or have an identifiable marker on this event that continues, then how will we ever be able to take it down? We can't. And that's the sense of denial sometimes. Oh, well, not us. We are exceptional. We are great. Mm -hmm. we, we take care of our women. Yes. Right. We protect them. Mm -hmm. They are proud property. <laughs> <laughs> I think also... A goal that I have is, so when I say destroy it, um, I, I definitely mean destroying the, the patriarchy because look at that noise. Okay, cheers to that, by the way. <laughs> I, I don't get a lot of people in this room who, who say that. And so when it happens, I have to celebrate. We, oh, yeah, it's worth celebrating. And we were just talking about this right before we started recording about this concept of patriarchy and matriarchy, but it's like this blend that it's not about hating men it's no. really just hating the systems that have created oppression for women because we must all coexist i'm sorry i don't care Absolutely. how masculine you are you have feminine bones in your body that you at some point are gonna need to deal with and identify yeah <laughs> yeah and and with all the love that like i have for women i also love the men yes. in my life like we're both married yeah we both love our husbands yeah. like this is it but does your husband share the same like Fuck the patriarchy. Like, he does. Okay, he does. Me too. I mean. And that's wonderful. <laughs> it's, it's a journey. It's a journey, yeah. you know. And I think, I think that's part of the dismantling of patriarchy is interacting and, like, co-learning with the men in our lives to build more healthy, positive forms of masculinity. Yes. Because Absolutely. That it's it's toxic masculinity, which I know that word gets thrown around a lot. Um, that's that's really contributing to towards this violence, and it's not something that's innate in men. Like men aren't just they don't pop out of the womb and they're like, I'm gonna be a, a jerk today. You know, it's <laughs> it's something that's formed on top of them and pressured against them throughout their lives. So that I want to look for solutions, and one of the yeah. solutions is talking with men and having men talk with each other because it is ultimately their journey to heal themselves yeah. and pursue positive forms of masculinity. 
I will preach it from the mountaintops. We need economic security for women. Mm. We need financial opportunities. We need financial security for women. Yeah. I mean, the fact that women get paid so much less than men, and that is just, again, broken down by identity. You know, black women and uh, Latina women, Latinx women, they, they make much less than even white women do yeah. um, to the dollar. Um, housing security. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure it's the same as it is in Spokane, but I know Coeur d'Alene is going through its own housing crisis. Insanity. You know, yeah. so secure mm-hmm. housing, um, bodily autonomy. Yeah. The ability to do what we need to do to have either a healthy family, whether that includes a child or whether that's us and a partner. We These are the things that we need in order to not end up in situations where we're with a man who might harm us. Absolutely. I spent a little bit of time working at a women's shelter here in town, but realized that that whole system itself, which was to rescue women, was really just to link them back up to some other oppression system that that looked prettier, Mm -hmm. that looked more pious and holy, but really it's the same system and it's the same oppression. And the majority of the women that I know that I watched go through the program too. It just was heartbreaking to me because I'm just champion, right? Yeah. I think you're you're onto Mm. something with this like not providing solutions that then further harm people. Yes. So there was a quote that came to me right when I left that place because this is when things get weird. When we're in positions where we're starting to see things and we start paying attention and then you start poking around and there are very specific people who don't want you poking around because you are going to mess with their structure. Um, you're going to mess with their um, their lifestyle. You're going to mess with their reputation. Mm-hmm. So you become this enemy of the state kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember this quote by Desmond Tutu. We can't just keep pulling people out of the river. At some point, we have to go upstream and see why they're falling in. And that just rocked me. And I was like, Gave me chills. Yeah. Okay. What's happening here? Lack of education, mm-hmm. lack of body autonomy, mm-hmm. lack of empowerment, like personal empowerment, lack of a voice. Or, yes. No, I'll, I'll, let me take that back. Every woman has a voice. We are just not given permission to speak it. So yeah. you have a voice. You're just being silenced at one time or another. Mm-hmm. So looking at all these elements and where does it start? How early does it start? Yep. And I'm that person who just wants to keep digging and going up that river to find the source of that thread. And how can we reinforce quality values and critical thinking and education access and abortion access, yep. all the things like and when you realize how many systems, though, rely on that oppression. Oh, my God. Then those systems are like, don't you Mm-mm. fuck with us. No, nope. <laughs> no. Lady, <laughs> let me tell you something. Yeah. That's why so we need much. each other. So much. That's why we need each other. That's why we need solidarity. That's why we need to have conversations like this. Yeah. I, and I hope, I hope that people listen to this and yeah. feel the same way. Right. Because we need each other's backs. And I think it's important too, like hearing you talk about your husband, that I have a similar relationship where he's like, 
yes, babe, keep running with this. Here's another book I saw. Like he's helping me. Like this is important when we do work like this, that we have a system behind us that's cheering us forward. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I've lost a lot of friends this past Mm, year. mm -hmm. It's simply building a space like this. I've lost friendships. I've lost business connections. I've lost funding opportunities. Fuck them. And I say fuck (laughs) them because who's here now, which is, the people who are really conscious thinking here. people yeah. that's continuing to grow. So we're on to something. Yeah. And, the, and I, and I love that you have that support. That makes me feel good as a mom, mm-hmm. <laughs> just that mothering of like, she's t- okay, good. She's good. She's taken care of. <laughs> she's got this person behind her. So yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. But I love what you said about shining a light on a dark mystery. And I read a little bit about how you, used to read Nancy Drew and that was kind of your thing but I think there's something in some women that chases mystery Mm -hmm. that when we're called to that place of a, a, a bigger noble cause of humanity that that little element of childlike oh yeah that's where it came from and that's where it started with me and that those stories are so beautiful so I love that you shared that yeah and I I In those blogs that I wrote, I really wanted to bring the human element behind it. Not only of the women, you know, murdered, but like, who am I? And why am I doing this? And that was the root of it. I've I've realized over time that I'm I'm kind of like a wannabe detective. Like (laughs) I loved I love detective stories. I love mystery. I love I love just sort of getting at the root of the thing and finding out why it happened um, and maybe finding a way to stop it in the future. Um, And that coupled with my love of women and my love of my, my want and desire to see them thrive. I mean, it just feels like an intuitive hit when it came. I was like, okay, I can't look back now. This is my life now. Um, And sometimes, you know, as is likely in the heroine's journey, you you stop and you're like, am I on the right path? Is this the right thing? Or, oh my gosh, this is so overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> um, but then yeah. I kind of just take a breath and I'm like, just pause. Just ground and come back to this. And that's okay. That's okay. You know, just trying to be comfortable with my feelings of doubt. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's a, that's a wrestling it is. I mean, this is what happens when you're dealing with, like, deep moral stuff. Yeah. You know, deep ethical, like, stuff and how you want to live your life and what you want to do and what you want, like, as you're on your deathbed, you know, like, did I do enough? Right. You know, did right. I pursue the thing that, that I knew was going to change something or hoped would change right. something? Well, we want our life to matter in some way, too, like collectively. Like, I, I already know I have three children. Mm-hmm. I, I've done my work, and I love them, and I, my life's devoted to my family. Yeah. But it's also looking outward with the gifts and talents that are spurring inside of me. So, well, of course, we want to keep moving in those things. But I really see a need, too, for women like you, like me, mm-hmm. who are chasing these things and what support I I used to think like well there has to be more groups that I can join so I can keep constantly being like supported that that girl gang kind of mentality Mm -hmm. but the older I get I'm realizing how this is my work 
and I have to carry it alone sometimes. Yeah. And if I'm constantly looking for these safety nets of people around me, mm-hmm. then what is this hindering my own development and my own grit that has to be there for me to keep going in this? Absolutely, because you don't want it to be compromised or diluted. Um, you know, on one hand, of course, brainstorming, heartstorming is really important, and some really valuable ideas can come out of that. But I think you're right. Ultimately, it's kind of your own kind of your own journey. Yeah. And you kind of need to just distill and, and listen to your own voice. Yeah. So let's shift into your sure. um, research process. Can yeah. you talk about your process so far, um, where, where it started, where you're at, where it's going next? Yeah, sure. So like I mentioned previously, Twin Peaks is kind of what really kind of brought me to the trope um, that I found in Media of the Dead Woman. Um, and so... That then led me to my move to Spokane, looking around, seeing that this was a real-world issue and not just something I saw on television. Um, it This realization I had happened years ago. I think it was maybe in 2017 where I, the light bulb went off initially. Mm-hmm. And I got really kind of jazzed up about it, but I didn't really know what to do. So I just sort of sat on it. Um, I had this idea of turning it into sort of a data project or sort of, sort of an installation, you know, having it be meaningful, meaningful, but have it being artistic as well. That didn't feel quite right for my process. So I sat on it. Um, and then basically I'd say it was eight months ago, a year ago, maybe basically when the, the pandemic really kind of shook things up that I really started to look around and think to myself like, okay, like, why do I keep pushing this aside? Mm. You know, it keeps popping up. It's not going away. Uh, so all that to say, uh, this July, I took a trip down to Portland. I stayed with some friends, cut out the noise, uh, took days off, off from work, and basically sat down and wrote a 3,000 page, or th- sorry, 3,000 word, not page, God, I hope, <laughs> um, a 3,000 word uh, essay of sorts that explored both the origin points for myself on how I got into the subject, mm. but also looking at the real world um, sort of intersections um, across racial lines, uh, socioeconomic lines, and then... I left or started the solutions section of the essay, and that's kind of what I alluded to earlier about sort of economic justice and security, and I'm still sort of working on that. Um, Hmm. I then drove from Portland up to North Bend where Twin Peaks was filmed (laughs) because I am, again, a nerd, Um, but I sort of wanted to be in this environment where I was first thinking about this trope and this problem. Um, and I used that to sort of refine the first 3,000 words that I had written and then sort of add to that. And then slowly over time, I've kind of um, parceled out the sections of, of the essay, posted them to my website as a blog, and then shared them through social media. Um, alongside all of that, I've been working with a couple of women, um, Jasmine uh, Jasmine Hunt and Jasmine Eli, the two Jasmines, I like oh to call them. And then my name's Jackie, so we're just the... That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've gotten together a couple times to just talk about pre-production, what that looks like. Mm. Um, one of them is an editor in Spokane. One of them, I've we work together as producers at a creative agency, so we have video production experience with each other. Um, both of them are just badass, awesome women. Mm. 
who heard, who answered my call. Um, we had been kind of loosely talking about it via text, um, having this idea, knowing that it was a problem. And finally, I just kind of pulled the trigger and said, I'm going to do this. Let's meet. So we met. Um, it's been some time. I had to take a bit of a hi hiatus planning for my wedding, which happened last Sunday. Ah, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Fantastic. Oh, it was really lovely. But it um, also, like, required some emotional, you know, reflection and also just practical stuff. You know, planning for a wedding is a thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm here with you now. I'm, I'm talking about the this, and that's kind of part of my, my research and also sort of building awareness uh, about the project. Um, and then I'm hoping to sort of jump back into it and start talking to the Jasmines again about production and the next steps that we need to do. We've started our um, budget. I've started sort of reaching my feelers out to subject matter experts and also um, family members of those who have been murdered to see mm -hmm. if maybe we could um, start a conversation. Um, next steps are probably going to be interviewing a friend of mine who lives in Seattle. His sister was was killed in Idaho mm -hmm. um, years ago, but this has been something that he's carried with him for many years. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that's our kind of next step, doing things like storyboarding, further research, um, further sort of awareness and sharing on the subject and then kind of getting down to brass tacks of production alongside with that i also need to do some fundraising so i'll be, be looking at some local um local grants and some statewide grants to maybe support the project yeah um, not only as a sort of sociological project but as a filmic work yeah um, looking to some um, institutions that support you know new filmmakers um you know putting together proposals and maybe, maybe submitting them to larger places like Sundance and just try to get some sort of seed funding yeah. so I can pay the people who are going to ultimately put this project together um, because that matters a lot to me. I want to yeah. pay people what they're worth right. <laughs> and honor their time right. because they're, they're working with me on this project that I care so dearly about. So I want to support them in the process and not have it just be this sort of like one-way thing. Yeah. So, yeah. I love that. Yeah, thank that's, you. That's all very humanity-centered too, which <sighs> I yeah. think is such a great, uh, a great diversion from our current capitalist-centered mm -hmm. day. That what are we doing that is not about the profit? That it's about the change and the ideas and the people and projects. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because. You know, I, I as a as a worker, as somebody who's always been a worker, I want to support other workers mm -hmm. first and foremost. But I'm also working with two women, and I will probably have a largely female crew. And I mean, often, like we talked about earlier, women aren't paid what they're worth. So I would love to raise the funds to pay people yes. what they're worth <laughs> yes. and honor their time, because a lot of women end up giving up a lot of free labor and a lot of emotional labor. So. Yeah. I just want to honor that. You, we talked about curiosity too. How do you feel you can inspire that in other people? I think it's similar to what we were talking about with you, actually, um, which is sort of leading by example. I have all sorts of hangups and insecurities. You know, I'm human. I'm also a human who was born into a woman's body, and so <laughs> I, I've absorbed a lot of. A lot of shit over the years, but 
I know in my heart that I am a creative person and I also believe in being vulnerable. And I think me just doing that and me just being myself can probably help others, maybe, I'm hoping. I mean, I think that, that I, I've absorbed that lesson from someone and it's gotta be other people who are unapologetically themselves. So I would say that would inspire curiosity in me is like, why is that person like that? You know, why, why are they so sort of free and, and, and you know, able to sort of speak um, confidently on what they do? Um, I would hope that that would inspire curiosity in other people. Yeah, because there is kind of that fork in the road when you feel something mm. that you're either getting frustrated about it or you're getting curious about it too. Yes. Like when something really ticks you where you have to stop. And I think um, unrecognized, you can just be angry. Yes. <laughs> you can just remain oh my frustrated and angry about everything. But to even just to voice it sometimes, like, this is not okay, mm -hmm. that's step one. Like, mm -hmm. getting that statement out of your body. Yes. And people will receive that as, like, stop being so negative or, you know, you're not a victim or, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. that's, that's their own projection. Absolutely. But just to speak your frustration sometimes I think is – a good way to start on the path to curiosity because you don't just all of a sudden, I'm going to research this and spend the next 10 years of my life devoted to this thing because if I felt this one time, right? It is an over and over and over again, the frustration, the anger that this exists and this is happening, it has to worm its way into a certain space where you start to get curious. Yes. Not everyone is born like, I mean, I do have to say, though, I wasn't into Nancy Drew, but I was all about Magnum P.I. Yes. I don't know if it was a mustache. <laughs> yeah. My I mom, mean, that's a pretty killer mustache. My mom's best friend was single, and she had a, I mean, these ladies were in their 20s, church ladies, and she had a poster of Tom Selleck behind her bathroom door, and I was just like, oh, he was just the greatest, but I loved the show, too, because there was mystery and something wrong. Mm, you know. Action. Yeah. Suspense. And mustache. And the mustache. I mean... <laughs> yeah, but but that curiosity like just became entertainment for so long mm -hmm. until it started blending with the frustration of life as it is, the current situation, dedication, love of women, wanting to see them advance, seeing them fall in the river one after one after one. Mm -hmm. Like you want to shake people, but that has to get moved into curiosity at some point. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Like you, I think you're really kind of pointing to some, some, something really beautiful and and sharp, and that is like paying attention to our emotions, mm -hmm. almost like it's the beam of a lighthouse. Where, Absolutely. where is it landing? What <laughs> rock is it landing on? You know, totally. And then, and then, kind of letting yourself be directed by that, yeah. and being comfortable with that direction. You are Joan of Arc right now. <laughs> like I'm just so. Honored to have you in this space. I feel like women like you who are on this mission and that have this vision that you walk into this space and you add, you add to the elements and the energy here that I'm like, someone needs to come work here today because Jackie Trevor was here. <laughs> so you need to pick up on that energy <laughs> and let it move you and let it shake you. And well, thank I'm you. so honored to have you here. So how can people get it? 
get involved? Or better question, do you want people to get involved? And who do you want to get involved? And how? All great questions. Um, right now, since I'm kind of in the, the research phase, there's not a ton to, to do right now. But uh, of course, I'm I'm one of many women and allies who are working on this project. Um, I think that Dawn, who we mentioned earlier, Dawn Wilcox, um, I, she has, if you just research her name or just Google her name, her website will pop up. I know that there are ways to support her work. I think you can su support it financially. Um, if you know of any women who have been harmed or, or murdered, you can submit that to Dawn as well. Mm. Um, of course, um, missing and murdered indigenous women, girls and two spirits. You just look on, on Instagram, you, you Google that. Oh, there are so everywhere. many foundations yeah. and so many research, uh, research groups that are focusing on this. Um, and there are even MMIW, um, chapters like specific to states, so I'm sure there's one for Idaho, there's one for Washington. So I would say direct your attention, your support, signal boost, mm. you know, share your, your, your cash. I mean, ultimately when mm -hmm. we support people, that's really what's going to get the, the wheels turning. Um, so for now, I'm just going to kind of push that support and that involvement out to the projects that are like well underway and have a foothold in this world and have a conversation going and an audience. Um, eventually I am going to start fundraising for the film, but I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. Um, but I, I'm hoping that w with more conversations like this, more people will be aware that it's an issue. And then when it's time for me to start like supporting the film, then I can start talking to people about what that means, um, and how yeah. we can kind of move forward together. But yeah, I would just reiterate that there are plenty, there's, there's also a, um, black women count. I think she's on Twitter. She tracks specifically black women who have been murdered, so black femicide. Um, you can follow her on Twitter. There's just so many ways that you can support this project or this 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 endeavor to identify femicide and and kind of get rid of it. Um, so that's where I would probably direct people to get involved right now. Fantastic. And you are blogging about it though right now, occasionally, yeah. sporadically. I am. Okay. I'm I'm trying to keep up a a fairly steady clip of maybe once a month. I mean, that's not super rigorous, but I'm also a working gal and I've, yeah. you know, got a family and all that. Um, but I am sharing it to my website, which is Jackie Triber. That's T-R-E-I-B as in boy, E-R dot com. And so you can read kind of my journey and exploration of the project and how it's progressing. Um, I think my contact information is on the website too, if you're just interested mm -hmm. in reaching out. Um, but my, my email address as of now is my last name, T-R-E-I-B-E-R, Jackie at gmail.com. So if you're interested, just, just reach out and okay. let me know. And I saw your profile on Instagram and you had yeah. the link in your bio. I do. Awesome. I do. Okay. Yeah. And I have a couple of, um, director updates that are different from the blog. It's basically me getting over my self-conscious nature and just speaking into the camera and saying what I'm doing. <laughs> I love it. So, I love it. That's, that's been a important. journey and, and good. Um, and it's, it's important for people to see my face and know that I'm a human and a person who, who cares about this project. Um, so yeah, you can see project updates on my, my Instagram as well, um, which is Jackal Ann, all one word, studios. And um, yeah, I'll be providing occasional updates there as well. Okay. And I'll have that linked into this episode too, so people can just click and find you. Fantastic. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate the work that you're doing. 
Um, it is unfortunate that we have to do this kind of work, right? Like there's yeah. that, that twofold of like, wow, this is radical and it had to be you and fantastic. Yeah. And how can we help? And the other side of this is, God damn it. I know. I know. <sighs> that it's... we have to, that there's so much we could be doing and building in this world that isn't having to repair this kind of damage and dismantle this kind of darkness crucifixions of yeah yeah it's it's tough it's tough talking about it it's tough being kind of like weirdly excited about it because I don't want that to translate into me just like propping myself up because that's not what this is about right I mean I do other things with my life that I love to share and promote or whatever my my actual art this is this is separate from that um so yeah I think you're right and I I just deeply appreciate you taking the time to learn about this subject with me and being in conversation with me and I really hope that people find something of value in this conversation and if anything too like it's I hope that women hear this and hear your passion for this subject and how you've connected it to your nature just as a human I want people to see that that's what happens when you grab hold of something Mm -hmm. and you commit yourself to it you're saying yes to yourself you're saying yes to this thing that is swirling in you that says I need to move in this way and you're saying okay I love you enough that I've heard you and I love you enough that I'm gonna be the vessel that you do this in Yep. Because we're a team here. Yep. <laughs> Mind, body, spirit, right? Yep. We're working yep. together the here. The complete package. That is the trifecta <laughs> of the human spirit. So I'm thankful for you exposing that to, to our listeners and hoping inspiring more of that in other people too. What is it that you have in your heart that is every time you hear about this issue or this topic that it really pisses you off because is it Gloria Steinem who said that first it's gonna the truth will set you free or it's not Gloria Steinem it's some, probably somebody else <laughs> <laughs> the truth will set you free but at first it'll piss you off mm-hmm. so don't be afraid of to be angry about something you stay there as long as you need to yep. the women who get it and who know it they're gonna cheer on your anger. Yep. The women who don't get it will be like, "Stop being so angry." You're Spiritual bypassing. Me. Yeah, your, your anger is messing with my, my vibe, my joy. My... But women who are angry, I, you know, mm-hmm. I know, I'm drawn to that. I'm mm-hmm. like, "Ooh, tell me more. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? <laughs> Why mad about that? <laughs> what should you do?" About that? <laughs> and that's that's where it starts. So yeah, absolutely. I, I see you, Jackie, and I appreciate this, and I love you for it, and I just want to be another resource for you to keep this project moving forward. So definitely keep me in the loop. I'm going to stay subscribed to your project so that I can cheer you on in any way that I can. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Brenda. Thank you for being here, and thank you for listening to this edition of Court of Femme. Just keep talking about it. See where it goes. Hi, Jacqueline here. Just wanted to provide a little update. The project has been more formalized and has a name, which is the Northwest Femicide Project. For now, it exists on Instagram. We are hoping to eventually pivot into a website. Since I'm both an artist and a researcher, the project will continue in its current form to offer insight into the material and systemic reasons for femicide, including the mechanisms of patriarchy, racism, and online misogyny. We hope to host a number of events, including an art exhibit dedicated to the women who have been murdered because they were women in Spokane. 
Follow us on Instagram to stay tuned for details. And that wraps up this episode of Court FM. Thank you for turning in to these conversations that serve to empower, protect, and mobilize women and femmes. Links to websites, organizations, and support services will be included on this episode's data hosted on Transistor FM, along with Jackie's info if you'd like to get involved. Thanks to Guardian Health for sponsoring this show and making this communication arts possible. Thanks for always having my back. And I'd like to give a special shout out to Ian August, whose exquisite music composition and fabulous editing skills created the music for this podcast. I am deeply grateful. Once again, this is Melinda Cadwallader, and you are listening to Core de Femme.